possibly go to the doctors? <laughs> oh, you sound like Ben and everyone else <laughs> that I speak to. If everyone's saying it, do you think there might be some truth in that? See, after the last week or so with the twins both having the virus, I'm, you know, I'm up there with this. So I think, should you, do you want me to come and take you? the doctors no I can get myself there yeah I've been kind of trying to tough it out and I was getting better so I thought okay right it's over and we'll be fine in a couple of days and it's just kind of hung around a little bit now it's been a couple of weeks so maybe okay maybe yeah tomorrow maybe I'll go I'll sort it out it was okay yes maybe which makes me think possibly no but the problem is I, I know what you mean you go to the doctor and you feel awful and you tell them everything and they go Oh, well, it's a virus. So just keep drinking and take some painkillers and you'll be fine. So, but I think, I think you should. If I can sound like Ben and everyone else that's spoken to you. Uh, but you have, been, you have been healthy enough to engage in a Twitter debate. I have. Well, well I, I didn't, really, uh, didn't really participate in much of the debate. Um, I was just responding. Um, Mark Petchy was asking on Twitter um, if uh, well, there's been this whole reform with the ITF and how the ITF circuit works. Um, I spent a long time on the circuit, so I'm, of course, very interested in it. Um, and he was just basically asking if um, anybody was part of the 55,000 people that were contacted because he didn't know anyone who was contacted. And um, in terms of the ITF were doing research uh, into how they should make the reforms. This is back years ago, 2014 it was. So I, I responded and said, I was. It seems like I'm the only one, which is kind of surprising because 55,000 <laughs> players, former players and coaches seems like everyone to me. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, so I, I just said that I was involved and I, I sent him a, a screenshot of the email that was sent to me by the ITF. It was just, a, they were just doing a survey um, and asking us questions about well, ask it. Apparently, it was just me. Maybe I am one, and they've kind of just inflated it to fifty-five thousand, and I'm responsible for all of these changes. So you are the reason for. So if okay, let's say if you are the reason for all of this, was Mark Petchy happy or not with with everything that you have said? Well, <laughs> when you were surveyed, I haven't spoken to Mark directly, but based on what he has said in his tweets, he's not particularly happy with the changes. A lot of people aren't happy with the changes. It has to be said. It's a really difficult one. I mean, look, I can say that the questions that were asked were very much about what was your ranking, what was your average ranking, you know, lots of details about who you were and what you did. Um, and then did you earn any money? How much did it cost? How much does it cost to have a coach? How, many, how much were you spending on traveling? They were trying to understand what players actually do logistically because it's all very well sitting down and trying to work it out on paper. But it's not like that. You know, people don't understand having to, to change flights and weigh up changing flights against the cost of the extra hotel nights and whatever else it might be, right? So uh, it was a lot of questions like that. And, and then they asked our opinion, on what the reform should be, uh, where resources should go, and which groups of players, uh, they had kind of different bands of players, which groups of players should be protected, um, as it were. Um, I, I don't know if they use the word protected. I'm not really sure. Maybe it was like security, job security, something like that. And for me something that I've always felt I mean I was a top 200 player for four years 
um, close to five. And, and then I stopped. So, you know, I, I, I could have been for, for maybe a bit longer. But um, so, so that was it. That was my career. And with generous very very generous help from my federation with the LTA <laughs> I'm not gonna lie I I made no money I ended up with zero pounds um in my bank account is that true so you ended up with mm. in terms of if you were a company you made no were you actually in was it zero or were you actually in debt to people no I was I was in zero uh, yeah I, I would I, I would never do anything that would um would have put me in debt that's just kind of the way that I was trained. And as I say, I'm very lucky because I'm British. Um, so in terms of coaching fees, a lot of that was taken care of. For some of the time, I had periods of my career where I didn't get much at all. Uh, but I also had periods where I had loads. And, you know, I can't I can't deny that. But, you know, when it comes to the, the travel costs, you're looking at £25,000 a year to get yourself around the place. And that's just for you, let alone coaches or anything else that you, you kind of want to do it properly. One of the questions was, which group of players would you like to see protected? And for me, the answer was players ranked between 150 and 400. Because if I was 200 for four years and I made no money with lots of help from the LTA. So if I didn't have that, I would have made a big loss. And yes, I could have spent differently. I didn't have to have my coach every week. And, and I obviously would have uh, tempered my programme. I, I was trying to do the best I could with what was available to me. And as I say, being British, I was very lucky. But my feeling is that, you know, that that's not right for a, a sport as big as tennis to have 200 men and 150 women that actually have a job doing it um, I felt that that tennis could do better than that uh, but the trouble is when you look at it and now I know I know that it's a mess and players are freaking out all over the place there are tournaments they can't get into there aren't enough tournaments it's a bit of turmoil right now because it's right at the beginning of this change it's the new year teething problems don't cover it and I and I do really understand that a lot of my friends are in this position and this is in no way you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be negative about them, but if, if you imagine it like a business and you're a business and, and they have 3,000 employees, 1,500 women and 1,500 men, they actually have more than that on the ranking system, but say it's 3,000, but only 250, oh wait, hang on, no, 200 men, <laughs> 200 men and 150 women, that's 350, isn't it? Right, you know, uh, they really shouldn't have asked my opinion. <laughs> No, you're, you're not well. So this week, okay. if she says anything that sounds a little bit stranger than usual, we're just going to forgive her because she's not well. Yeah, okay. Everybody, <laughs> just give me a break, okay? I'm just trying to um, explain where I think the ITF are coming from with all of this. It's, I'm, not, I'm not talking about what they've actually done and the changes that have made, but where they're coming from. Say you, ha you run a company and there, you have 3,000 employees, but only 350 of those can f go home and feed their families. What are you going to do? You have to find the money from somewhere. It's just not going to come out of nowhere. You know, tennis, it's not growing at such a rapid rate that it's going to turn into football in terms of team V money and all this sort of thing. So the ITF don't have that as an option. And essentially the decision has been made, um, as I think any business would, that you would reduce the number of people that are in your business and look after, instead of 350, try and look after 800 and so the 800 can then go home and, and feed their families. And, and that is the mentality behind it, which I, I fully support. It does mean that, unfortunately, like any restructure in a business, it sucks for a lot of people. But 
when the ITF structure was made many, many years ago, decades ago, uh, they weren't anticipating that thousands and thousands and thousands of people would be desperate to be tennis players and be trying to be tennis players and, and that sort of thing. So I'm very much in support of what they are trying to do in terms of whether these change. Mark asked me, Mark Petchy asked me on Twitter whether I was in agreement with the new structure. And my response is kind of, you know, I'm, well, I'm yet to see that. I get that there's turmoil and it's really, it's, it's rubbish for a lot of people and the landscape has changed and what they're used to is not there anymore. So I saw somebody put up a post ranked around 500, which was their entry lists basically saying, look, I can't get into any more $25,000 events or $60,000 events because that's what they're used to playing, being ranked four or 500. They can get into them um, and, and saying, well, well, what do I play? There's nothing for me to play. Well, there is. You have to then drop down to the 15,000s. That's that's the point. That's what they're trying to do. Um, so, I don't know. It's it's a really difficult one. It's a really hard one. But, and I, I think uh, Anna Verlich, know her really well, spent many years playing alongside her, has written a letter that's been sent to the, uh, to the ITF. And in the letter, one of the points was, you know, how, how can you only care about, I think it was 800 and... Oh, no, sorry, 456 players uh, because that's the kind of the, the cut that people are kind of looking at, really. She said, how can you only care about 456? But it, it, it was less than that last year with, with the old structure. You know, as I say, I was top 200. I was playing as... I had the main draw of Wimbledon. I had lots of funding and I still made, made no money. It's, it's not really... It's not feasible. It hasn't been feasible for a long time. And for me, the players ranked between 150 and 400 are too good. They are too good and have dedicated too much of their life to not be given any sort of reward. And to be able to do that, they need to restructure things so that they can get the reward. And, and it just sounds, sounds really harsh and really horrible. And I'm not necessarily saying that I agree with it, really. I, I, I have to kind of wait and see. Like, I, I don't think you can see if a restructure has been effective for quite a while. So we'll have to see how it settles down. But uh, what's happening at the moment is it's pretty much carnage. Well, change is, change is difficult when something's been as it is for so long. And then suddenly you change it. And as you said there, it needed to be changed because of the situation people were in. But we don't like change. I don't like change. I'm just getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I like things as they are. And suddenly something's either just different or moved or changed. And that's on a very basic level. So if it's actually your, your livelihood, it is very difficult. But maybe at the same time, you will find that some of those people that were making a little bit of money and traveling, now that things, the landscape's changed, they might just say, well, maybe tennis is for me and I'll move out of tennis. I'm not saying we need to get people out of tennis, but some people might actually wake up and think, actually, uh, this maybe isn't really what I want to do. And it's not worth it if they're having to either drop down or do something a little bit different so change isn't always a bad thing I think it's very difficult when something's been like it is for so long but I think I would agree with you that that they mean well but you have to give it time yeah change is scary it can be wrong as well I mean this could be entirely wrong I don't know but all I know is that change was absolutely necessary and I was a big supporter of that. And hopefully 
this change in a couple of years once it's settled down we will see that we are closer to the goal that I think that a lot of people have for the landscape of tennis that the average ranking of when you can break even drops and that we have more athletes who actually have jobs they have some sort of security and that I think is where a lot of people that I speak to want to be and I believe that that was the intention behind this change so hopefully we get to that point I have a couple of issues one is about transitioning they use the word transition can you still transition at your own pace or is it prescribed by the ITF and that if you do anything outside of those parameters then you can't become a professional tennis player that I need to see evidence that that is still an option that you can do it at your own pace because otherwise we will lose some great players that we don't want to lose the second is selling the live betting the live streaming live scores I have a real issue with that at that lower end so I don't agree with everything that they're doing but we have to try I feel that we've got an awful lot of tennis stuff to fit in this week and we're not going to get much ish in but my one little bit of ish in and I kind of think I know the answer I'm going to get from you because you don't like Christmas cards and you don't have a Christmas tree so I think I already know where we're heading with this but how was your Valentine's Day was it very I mean this is the year of your wedding was it exceptionally romantic and card and flower filled it was Valentine's Day (laughs) when's that February it was last week. No, I know when Valentine's Day is. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, no, no, we don't do Valentine's Day. Shock. <laughs> God, I think everyone's, everyone's going to think I'm really miserable, aren't they? <laughs> it's like, do you have any fun in life? My friend got a card and she thought it was from her boyfriend. Ooh. And her boyfriend comes home and she says, oh, and he says, what's that? And she said, oh, yeah, you're, you're kidding. And he said, no, what's that? She said, it's Valentine's card. And he's like, I can see that. Who's it from? And she went, you. And he said, it's not from me. Oh, wow. And she genuinely, it's one of those, you, you sort of think as you, this might happen kind of when you're young and at school, but when you sort of become an adult, sort of grown up with children and stuff, that this stuff probably doesn't happen. It was one of those genuine, I think it's something like, we would be perfect together and a question mark. Nice. With absolutely no clue question who it could be from. I and mean, that's the thing. No it's clue. It's probably someone at work. Definitely. It's still got to be someone at work, I think. No, because she does a lot of work from home. <laughs> and oh, we've already ruled out the boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Genuinely, genuinely doesn't know who it's from. It's a little bit of a mystery. That is a mystery, you know. We've, it's very, it's, I mean, I suppose, is it flattering? It's, it's not creepy, is it? No, it's flattering. It's flattering. <laughs> I think it, it depends who it's from, I guess, but you don't know who it's from. I think if you've got an idea who it might be and you think, oh, then it could be a little bit creepy. But I think you have to take it as flattering because in this case, someone has gone out and paid money for a lovely card with penguins on it, as was the case, and a heart, um, and and posted it to you. So I'm sure there's an element of, of flattery in there. But, but she hasn't got a clue who it was from and it's it's that it's that day isn't it when you you go on instagram and there's flowers and hearts and people saying this is what happened and it made me think we have not had a conversation yet about gem's life 
Oh, of course. <laughs> yes. This is the Instagram account set up by Gemmel Feast and Alina Svitolina. Yeah. During the Australian Open, he was in her box and the on-courts um, interviewer, bless him, said, oh, Gemmel Feast is up there. And she's would not be a good poker player because she giggled, then Aww. burst out laughing and then said, well, I guess everyone's seen now. And I'd heard rumours that they've been quite passionate in public. <laughs> God, <gasps> there should be strict rules in the players' areas. Can I just say, no heavy petting is like they need signs around. <laughs> just, just saying. Can I just say, who uses the words heavy petting? <laughs> I have never used those two words That's in what my they life. Use at swimming pools, isn't it? They put it around the place at pools. No heavy petting, and I never knew what it meant until probably like last week or something. <laughs> hang on, hang on. You go to swimming pools where they put signs saying no heavy petting. Yes. That, my entire childhood, every swimming pool I went to had one of those. But why would that be something that happens at a swimming pool? Can't you heavy pet anywhere? What was going on at your swimming pool? <laughs> uh, I mean, true. You could you could heavy pet anywhere. I don't know. I've never tried. <laughs> I don't know what you can get away with nowadays. Because at swimming pools, they say don't run. Um you know, might slip and, and there's no diving because it's not deep enough. But I have mm-hmm. never seen... Don't pee, that's another one. I, I... <laughs> Don't pee well, in our pool. I, I'm so glad I never came to your swimming pool. <laughs> but but to see a sign saying no... are you? Did you make that up? No heavy petting no. at a swimming pool. Oh, now, come on. <laughs> it's, a, like, it's a every pool I think I've ever been to. My mum's a swimming teacher, I'm telling you. It's it's like a standard. You've probably just ignored it. You with your heavy petting, just just too well, I, into it. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I just don't know why you'd assume that people would be heavy petting in a pool. Like I understand in a nightclub or a bar, maybe you'd accept that, or a restaurant or a cafe or I'm just a cinema. How a cinema needs a no heavy petting. Right. The lights are off. You're watching the film. But a swimming pool. That's the weirdest. This is turning into our most surreal podcast. <laughs> I just. Wow. Well, anyway, in the players lounge. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> you would like a sign that says no heavy petting. No, do you know what? It's not that bad. It's not that bad. But as we've established, I'm not the most romantic. We don't do <laughs> Valentine's Day because our anniversary is on the 10th of February. So we did, we did, we do our anniversary, and then we just forget about Valentine's Day because what's the point, right? We 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 went out for dinner for our anniversary, which was nice. And Ben got me a card. I forgot, um, so <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get a card from me. Uh, but no one ever does. I've already bought in, you know, in the sale post Christmas when they get rid of everything because it's not Christmas. I've already bought a, a bumper pack of like an assortment of 25 Christmas cards and I've already started writing them all to you. And I'm just going <laughs> to post them from the 1st of December. I'm going to post one a day. <laughs> you're just going to get, I might sign them from all sorts of people, but you're just going to get this flood, <laughs> a flood of Christmas cards. <laughs> wow. I decided, I, I thought about ways of delivering a tree to you, but it was just getting too complicated. So yeah. I'm just going to do cards. Now, um, Gilmore Feast, sorry, the heavy petting really sent me off there. The, the Gilmore Feast and Alina Svitolina, they have, they don't really talk about them as in their couple, on their own Instagram accounts, really. But they've set up this Gems Life, which is all their initials. I was trying to put yours and Ben's together, actually, having been a former player. And I came up with 
Nibica or Benak? <laughs> right. Okay. Super. <laughs> You've done really well there. <laughs> Which, I've done, I just used your initials. Theirs work perfectly because it's all their initials blended together. And it's... I mean, it's incredible. They do question and answer sessions on Instagram about their relationship and they're learning each other's language and the music they like and how long they've been together. And I mean, it, it is quite... And, and every day when one's playing another tournament, at the moment they're doing something for charity when all the money from the aces they they serve on the first few tournaments will go to charity. But every time one's playing a tournament, there's a little video of them watching the other one wherever they are. Because um, remember, Dominic Team and Christina Medenovic were, were were quite into the <laughs> heavy petting, if I can use your terminology. <laughs> but I mean, that that's nothing compared to Gail Fees and Aline. But in a way, relationships, as you will know, having been on tour, will happen on tour. You are people who travel the world together, spend an awful lot of time together. A lot of them are happen away from the cameras. But in a way, it's 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 quite nice that they're sort of saying we're together. And we're enjoying being together. I mean, the Instagram account, it feels a step too far. <laughs> but it, it's quite nice that they're being quite open about the relationship that they've got together. I just, I, I just, a couple of people said they worry that if it ends, it could get a little bit messy. Yeah, I mean, it's always a worry if you're going out with someone you work with, isn't it? That it can just be really difficult. Oh, but they're so cute. It's, it's really sweet. Um, I mean, it's just not something I would do. I mean, I, I can't even give them a card, to be honest. <laughs> But it's very nice. They seem very happy. And um, and they're really sweet and they're really supportive as well. I mean, they're really supportive of each other and, and, and tennis and doing great stuff together. I mean, honestly, it's just nice dose of happiness and positivity comes out of that account. We've had a question come in for you from Amy. Um, and please do if you have any questions about anything as you realise we cover everything not football though and and not heavy petting at swimming pools because I'm I, I cannot believe I cannot believe that is even a thing and I, I feel like I need to go to a swimming pool and walk around it and find one of those signs um, but the, the question you know I'm going to spend tomorrow at work I'm working at Chelsea tomorrow I'm just going to be asking everybody if they've seen these signs at swimming pools um, the question from Amy uh, would like to know what is going on with Elena Ostapenko these are Amy's words it's heartbreaking to watch her play tennis of late yeah wow where would you like to start with that well I mean I mean firstly no one knows I mean we can speculate but it's it, it's difficult isn't it I mean the year after she won Roland Garros you could completely understand because it was the pressure and as the year went on she actually backed it up quite well she did did quite well following Roland Garros that's for sure I mean remember she wasn't even seeded so she wasn't even playing at a top 30 standard but I felt like after Roland Garros she was playing at a top 10 standard um, and then after that the pressure really built with Roland Garros points to defend around the corner and I think it was a bit of a relief when she lost so that whole year I, I don't I don't have too much concern for but it's been since then hasn't it really it's been nine months it's been, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult to watch. Um, lack of confidence. She plays a very high-risk game, which is completely based on confidence. If, if you play that sort of game, you look at the likes of Bouchard, Conta, they play up at the baseline. They take a lot of risks. And when you're confident and it all goes in, you're unstoppable. And when you lose the confidence, 
it's almost impossible to play because you're left with a very unbalanced game. Um, and it's something that you, you kind of have to then tweak to try and improve and get your confidence going again. But because they've been so committed to their game style from the very beginning, all three of them, they won't budge on what they do because A, it got them to where they got to. Ostapenko won a slam. Conta was number four in the world. Bouchard final of Wimbledon. I mean, you, you can't really argue with that, can you? You can't say, oh, it doesn't work. Of course it works, but it only works in a certain circumstance when when you're feeling really confident. And there are other high-risk players like Petrikovitova and Pliskova who have uh, just a little bit more... Um, I'm going to use a word that's not a word here. Uh, sensibleness. This is the this is this is the form of this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> oh is... my god! Um, they, no, they they because I don't want to say common sense because that's 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 not what I mean, um, and it's not discipline either. But they. So let's try your new word once more. What's the new word? Sensibleness. <laughs> Sensibility. I don't know anymore. The English language is too hard for me. They have a game style that is, it, it's it's so high risk. I mean, Ostapenko goes down the lot. She absolutely blasts her forehand. Remember that stat that she hits, she was hitting her forehand on average harder than Andy Murray in the French Open when she won it. I mean, it's just, it, it's ludicrous. And, uh, and, as, and as I say, it, it, it's a feel good game. And if you're a big hitter like that, you kind of got to go along for the ride and enjoy the roller coaster because it does go up and down and all over the place. For all three of those players I mentioned, they've really experienced their downs as well as their ups. Now, you could always argue that if you did try and temper their game and you did try and fill in a little bit of discipline and a bit of just more understanding the score, I think, and when to do things, if you did bring that in, then, well, maybe they wouldn't have the, the ups. Maybe Ostapenko wouldn't have won Roland Garros if she she hadn't have gone for broke and got all out. So you can always argue that point as well. And, you know, as I say, with, with Conte, I mean, you can't argue with what, what she did. I mean, it was amazing what she did, but it, it's not, it's not a sustainable, it's not long-term. The, it's a difficult one now to, because you could have said in the past, well, look, she was only 20 when she won Roland Garros in 2017. She was a set and three love down to Simona Halep in the final. But then, and it, but everyone reacts differently. And since then, we've had Naomi Osaka, who has backed up winning the US Open in the circumstances that she did and move forward and win the Australian Open. So it, it doesn't come down to age, but I, I guess it also comes down to the the individual. Now, I'm not saying Novak Djokovic, who was recently named the Laureus World Sportsman of the Year for everything nice. he did. Um, um, last year and he did a I think it was a four and a half minute speech I think at the Oscars they'd start playing the music wouldn't they and they'd kick you off the stage yeah. <laughs> before they I'm not gonna lie I saw it come up <laughs> I've heard a lot of Djokovic speeches I saw it come up on social media I didn't watch it um, I just kind of thought Do you know what I get the general gist lots of people to thank his family and it's great and all that sort of stuff I'm sure he's thrilled I'm thrilled for him but you know, I was reasonably busy and that was four and a half minutes where I was like, I feel like I know the content. I don't know. Did you did you listen to it? No, no, I, I did listen to it. There was a lot of looking inwards to look outwards, um, a lot of soul searching, 
um, a lot of everything he went through referencing winning Roland Garros when he was holding all four at once and the moment and then getting lost and a lot of thanking to, to his wife, Yelena, and, and the family. And it was, it was a real sort of outpouring of everything. I mean, I think thoroughly deserves it because I think what he did last year was nothing short of absolutely astonishing. But he got to the point, you could say with Djokovic, we sort of understand what happened because he'd done so much in his career. And then to also have the French, it was like, right, what do I do now? Where do I go? You can't really say the same for Yelena Ospenko. That was her first tour title and it was the French Open, but she was mm. 20. And, and how does that change your life and your thinking and your, I mean, you have to be in those shoes to be a Grand Slam champion at the age of, of 20. And, and we can't compare her to Naomi Osaka because people are very very different it's just it's 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 a bit of it's a bit of a head scratcher but she as you you talked about the the game style that she has is high risk but she's young enough to I mean recently she went out first round to Jennifer Brady in Dubai but she did have treatment for a back problem she went yeah. down six or six someone else I want to bring in not to compare game style but in terms of what's happened is Daria Kasatkina because anyone you'll speak to maybe not recently but I remember last year during Wimbledon the amount of people I bumped into who said the way she plays is amazing she's going to be world number one because she's stunning and she's so talented and she's incredible and she's going through a little bit of a barren spell yeah and uh, she she got a little stuck before didn't she Kazakina um, it, it's an interesting one just quickly going back to um, Ostapenko Conta and Bouchard because I do put them all in the same camp they've both achieved they've all three of them have achieved incredible things you've got a, a slam champion slam finalist slam semi-finalist there out of those three for me they are the three highest risk players in the top 100 uh Ocean Dodan <laughs> also qualifies I'm not sure if she's in the top 100 at the moment I don't think she is but she she's possibly the most high risk player but uh she hasn't maybe she hasn't really achieved what what they've achieved. She's still pretty young. For, as, as I say, I mean, they are the three most high-risk players and they've all followed a very similar pattern for me. Um, okay, Contas came a little later when she got her breakthrough, but the breakthrough was quick. It was sharp. It was fast. It was filled with confidence, complete freedom, no pressure. Let's just play high risk. Well, let's just go for it. And big things happened. And then it's the, it's post that, you know, what happens. But is it people also figuring you out as well? Because Bouchard, no one knew much. And then she stormed through and had this sensational season. Ostapenko, I mentioned, hadn't won a title, still very young. Conta had been there and thereabouts, but suddenly there was this surge. Is it also, and we talk about this, we could talk about this in any, we could talk about it in football. Suddenly a manager sets up his team very, very differently and it shocks everyone. They don't know how to deal with it. But then the next season or later in the season, they get to grips with what they have to do and they identify the weaknesses. And if they have this system, but maybe they can't move from this system and you can compare that to anything, then you are going to get found out a little bit i'm really enjoying the football references this evening this is uh <laughs> you can tell i'm working in football this week can't you <laughs> yeah, precisely i mean for me people figuring out your game style is one of the hardest things to deal with in terms of confidence and for me watching conta very closely being british knowing her as well commentating on her 
when players started to figure out her game style and were able to pick her apart, that was incredibly damaging to her confidence walking on court. She kind of knew she was a bit vulnerable and you have that vulnerability. And again, as I say, they are riding on confidence. That game style, I mean, you cannot play that game style if you feel like crap. Like, it just, I mean, it, it ain't going to work. I mean, it, you have to be so ridiculously bold and brave on the big moments and over and over again. And yes, you can cite Sharapova and Serena and all these very, very aggressive, very bold and brave players, but they do not play with the level of risk. Uh, and, and, the, and because all three of those, I would say, are borderline reckless at times. Conta may be less so. When she was doing well, I felt like she was actually really, I mean, she just... She just went for it just the whole time. It was incredible. It's extraordinary to watch. And as I say, who's to say that you would knock that? I mean, she got to number four in the world and made the semi-finals of Wimbledon. I mean, why? Who? what's wrong with that? That's fine. Like, maybe she's not achieving that now. Maybe Ostapenko will never win another slam. She's won one. Uh, and if she wasn't as high risk, maybe she would have never won one in the first place. So it's very difficult to, to kind of know, isn't it? Um, but on, uh, on Kazakhina, that's a really interesting one. Again, I feel like... People really want her to be the best player in the world because they really enjoy how she plays. And I love watching her play. I, do you know what? I've played against her. It was awful. I played against her on clay. It was just it was just a very difficult experience for me. And I thought I played really well. What was <laughs> what was the best thing? Facing, actually being on court across the okay, so hang on. How how old was she when you faced her? And what was the scariest thing? about what she did when you were facing her? Uh, she was probably 16. She was basically a top, top junior. So she was top two or three in juniors, maybe even number one. Uh, I played her at a challenger in Florida uh, and we were on the grey clay. There was nothing scary about facing her because I didn't really didn't know anything about her. I just knew that she was a good junior and very good on clay. So I was going to have my work cut out for me, that's for sure. At the end of the match... I mean, I was really, really impressed. We had a tight set and then she blew me away. I was really impressed. And I remember sitting at the, the at, my, at my bench at the end of the match and just looking at the clay and looking at where my slide marks were. And I had just been pulled so wide so many times. And in the challenges, often you don't get a lot of space in the court. I mean, my slide marks were up to the fence. I was, I had to basically hit a shot, fall into the fence and rebound to get back into the point. And I did that multiple times. I mean, it was just so the width. And I was, and I remember just looking at my slide marks thinking, I don't think I've ever even hit a shot from that position. Like, and I'd get to the ball and just not really know what to do. Um, The kick on her forehand, the way it jumps up at you, it's incredibly steep the weight of it it's a really heavy forehand we're going to have to do a session we'll do a pod on weight of shot versus power because people always confuse the two it's very very different but her weight of shot is so heavy gets right underneath you jumps right up at you and it's just it's like um it's like an uppercut it's like being kind of you know punched underneath the chin it's just coming up at you and you just kind of you know whoa and trying to get out of the way of it and trying to control it but yeah i I love the way that she plays. She plays a, a great clay court game. But do you know what? Tennis isn't what you want it to be. Tennis is what it is. And on the women's tour, there are very few events on clay. Very few events on clay. She's done well at Charleston. She'll always do well. I'm sure she'll do great at Roland Garros. But the, the vast majority of the year is on other surfaces. If she was a guy, she could play a whole year on clay. Apart from maybe the slams, bowl up for them. But we have different different tours and, and different surfaces. So that's where you know she's just 
kind of struggling a little bit we actually have quite a few indoor tournaments as well for for the women um and uh yeah so maybe just not suiting her so much but i i still think she's very young and she's still she's working it out she's working it out so we're gonna do a pod maybe next with us next maybe sorry maybe next week um on weight of shot versus power well i mean now that you say it it sounds really boring so <laughs> maybe we shouldn't it can be it can be a little section it can be a little section of the podcast and also if anyone has any other questions we would love to tackle them and also if if anybody listening uh, if anybody is listening uh, and they are enjoying it if if you like to leave us a review that would be lovely. <laughs> yes, um, leave us a review. Yeah. And um, if you're a regular listener and you're listening every week, then try and, or if you can, you can subscribe and then it will just update automatically. Those couple of things do just kind of help us out a lot, as, kind of, as dull as it is. As dull as it is, it'd be very helpful. Now, this week for me is a mix of work and half term. Oh, okay. I mean, that, that is a mix. So you're Chelsea-ing? Chelsea-ing and half term. Terming. what's the inside scoop come on then with the football gossip what's happening no gossip here there's lots of gossip at chelsea no gossip just getting on with things have very important match against malmo in the europa league on thursday and then i'll be at wembley and very excited on sunday for the league cup final chelsea gets manchester city which is going to be very tough for chelsea but i'm looking forward to being there and then in between that is half term which means wherever you go there are children everywhere I mean, these wonderful parks and places, these little secret places you, you discover during term time, which is just your own little sanctuary. They're just full of children. I mean, I, I got taken to a trampoline park on Monday. Naomi. Oh, wow. Can't put into words. There was really, there's like really loud music, so I couldn't think. I'm sounding old. <laughs> there was about 50 trampolines. There were about 5,000 children and there was a life-size Batman. It was... <laughs> <laughs> well, the Batman's the best bit. Did you bounce? No, didn't bounce. Best thing is, uh, <laughs> twins had, had a great time and that, that is the key thing here. But in terms of a day out, it was... Yeah, it was tough. But it's... it's yeah, that's so... So that's the sort of mix of, of the rest of the week. And for you, I'd like you to go to the doctor's. Okay, I will. I will. I'll, I'll do it because you asked me, not Ben. Well, I'm used to my children saying yes and then sort of doing the complete opposite. So I have a feeling that we could be along these lines. But I think, mm. you know, because we need you to be back for our weight of shot pod <laughs> next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, to all the listeners, we, we won't do that. We'll do something, <laughs> something more interesting. And, and just a little apology for, for Naomi in this podcast, because she said some random things. She's made up some stuff. She's not been good with numbers. And there's been a couple of new words. Is that about what have right? I made up? What have I made up? Sensibleness and heavy petting does not appear at swimming pools. <laughs> yes, it just, does. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand by that. Maybe I went to some really dodgy swimming pools. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say anything, but um, I'll see if I can do a little bit of swimming pool research this week, and I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you on heavy petting next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.